0: Where could we afternoon or, afternoon? or evening or late night. It's
1: not even morning when we're recording, so I don't know where that came from.
0: Wherever you want, wherever you are, just hey, hey everybody. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine.
1: Tammany Hall.
0: Buffa Ghosts. I take over that one.
1: I'm 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 glad. I was hoping. In the
0: spirit of last week's episode, I possessed it and was like. There was
1: a control.
0: There was a control. An alt and a delete. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Real fact about myself that has nothing to do with anything, and you can cut this if you want, Adam. But up until we won't say how old I was, I didn't realize, I mean, I knew it was a control button, but I never considered that that abbreviation, CTRL, was pronounced control. And in my brain, it was Searle. Sur alt, delete. <laughs>
0: So glad that the world knows that. <laughs> Our listenership knows that. Um speaking of listenership, we're, we're gonna you know, thank everyone for for your listens and thank you for your subscriptions and your follows and your likes and your whatnots. Um we've been getting some some love uh from one of these last, you know, these last few episodes. So thank you for, for your continuing thank listenership you, and um um, make sure if you haven't yet, if you're discovering us for the first time to to follow us, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your wherever you're listening to this right now so you can get updates on on each week. We, we never come out miss in, an episode. We come in every week though. so like you it's rare when you're like, oh, there's an episode out today. there's always an episode. right. Always an ep
1: It's nice to have the reminder.
0: It's nice to have a reminder. I like being reminded.
1: I like being reminded
0: because you listen to many podcasts, I assume, listener. If you're if you're, a, if you're a connoisseur of the podcast,
1: right? And if you're not, and you're just listening to us, then it might slip your mind.
0: It could and you sli- don't want that. No one wants that. Hey, Christina, what are we talking about today? We're talking
1: about cryptids. Ooh, our first cryptid. Yeah, we
0: are.
1: So, Adam, how would you define a cryptid?
0: Um, I I just usually say like a mythical beast. Like that's okay. kind of my yeah. like my go to like a mythical beast that. Um, that in theory, there is reasons why it exists, mm-hmm. but we don't really know all those theories. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a fame that's follow it. So I always think yeah. of Bigfoot. Yeah. I think of uh, Loch Ness Monster. Yep. Um, I briefly mentioned that 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 Montauk Beast. Oh, back yeah. In the, back in the Montauk Project episode. Um. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So exactly that. Cryptids are um, creatures that are beyond the realm of what we know if which is sort of like a a weird maybe definition of mine but um you know there are cryptozoologists who who are in pursuit of these creatures these beings um i think the loch ness monster is a great example for the purposes of our episode today um so we're going to be talking about uh the loch ness monsters currently probably lesser known cousin though at one time No one knew about the Loch Ness Monster and everyone knew about this guy.
0: Um,
1: And we're going to be spending our time out in and around Lake Champlain. So we're talking upstate New York, Lake Champlain. Lake Champlain is a nature. It is a nature. (laughs) (laughs) It is nature. (laughs) Lake Champlain is a natural freshwater lake that actually straddles New York, Vermont, and Canada. I know we're a New York show, but for the purposes of today, we're not going to worry too much about, like, did this sighting happen exactly on the New York side of things? We're going to
0: always assume it was a New York We're site. just
1: going to assume it was a New York state. Um,
0: as, as New Yorkers, that's what we mean. Right,
1: because you know, what else is there? Um, but, uh, you know, we're going to consider all of Lake Champlain because it's partially New York, so it's all connected and borders are arbitrary, yada, yada, yada. Um, anyway. Most of the lake is in Adirondack Park, with the New York side of the lake being counties Clinton and Essex. Uh, To situate you further, major cities along the lake are Plattsburgh and Ticonderoga, New York, while Vermont side has Burlington of Bernie Sanders. That was a bad Bernie Sanders. That was really bad. Would you like to do a Bernie Sanders for me? Say Burlington, Vermont like Bernie Sanders.
0: Burlington, Vermont. Thank you.
1: (laughs) And the Canadian side has the province of Quebec. So it's quite a bit south, but south of Montreal. Sure um lake champlain was formed i'm just going to give you a little history here because i i thought it was interesting lake champlain was formed by retreating glaciers that created an inlet resulting in the champlain sea which eventually shrunk and that's how we get lake champlain today its length is 120 miles its width is 12 miles at its widest and the average depth of the water is only 64 feet but the deepest point which is between charlotte vermont and essex new york is 400 feet so that's important right because we're gonna be talking about a cryptid that lives in this lake and one of the concerns that people raise is well where's it living it's pretty shallow why can't we find it and so there is this portion that is quite a bit deeper um, I'll also say that the lands around the lake are the traditional unceded homelands of the Wabanaki Confederacy, aka the Dawnland Confederacy of Native Americans. More specifically, they are the lands of the Abenaki on the eastern Vermont edge of the lake, while on the uh, western New York side of the lake, they are the lands of the Kanyankehaka or Mohawk of the Hodgsoni Iroquois Confederacy. And both groups' land extend into the Canadian side as well. Um, And while Lake Champlain is the name given to it uh, by settlers, uh, namely, uh, the namesake being Samuel Champlain, an explorer around 1609, um, the the name of the lake in these indigenous languages is the Waters Between. Hmm. And so I want to flag the indigenous peoples of this area, one, because it's always important, and two, because we're going to be thinking a bit about some indigenous um, stories that do relate to this creature. Love it. So um, just to further flag for folks who aren't familiar, the Abenaki are an Algonquin-speaking group, while the Kahaka Mohawk are an Iroquois-speaking group, which means that these are part of two macro-cultural groups that are distinct. And even within their individual nations, there's a lot of variation. So what I say today is by no means the authoritative version. And so with that as prelude, we're going to start talking about our creature who is frequently called a sea monster or a sea serpent, even though we're in the lake um, and who we will call by the very sweet moniker champ. Oh,
0: champ. Champ.
1: Sometimes it's called champy.
0: I like champy.
1: I like champy too. Champy um, would
0: be looking on a t-shirt.
1: I would look on a t-shirt. I bet there are t-shirts. I There's.
0: Can't, I can't wait for our mystery Machine t-shirt with champy on it.
1: Champy. Oh, it'll be, be it'll be the
0: logo of, of us in the van and champy's on top of it.
1: Yes. <laughs> Yes. I'm and Champy. Then, oh. Hey, you guys, wait for me. Oh, I really want Champy to talk like that, too.
0: Yeah, that's how Champy talks.
1: And now I'm also just because... And him
0: like- and Ted are best friends. And Champy, oh. we're best friends. <laughs> that's how Ted, my dog, speaks world.
1: What do you think about that, Ted? Um, I love Champy. There are accounts spanning hundreds of years of a long, large, fierce sea serpent monster, what have you, in the waters of Lake Champlain. Um, And so as I alluded, the story of Champ may extend back not even just those hundreds of years, but thousands of years. So many Native American peoples of the northeastern woodlands and elsewhere have stories of horned serpents. And the Abenaki and Kanye and Kehaka Mohawk do as well. Um, So the... The Kanyan Kehaka Mohawk speak of Onyarekoa or Onyare, among other names, which just means big snake. Um, and the big snake lived in the various Great Lakes of the area and could capsize canoes and eat people. In some traditions, his breath was poisonous. Uh, some traditions held that the serpent would spare travelers on his waters if they made offerings, often of tobacco. Uh, he can. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> Tobacco was 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 what that was that was his thing. He was like he was like I'll ego yeah, but so give me that tobacco.
1: Yeah, so tobacco is actually a really common offering for spirits in the and and in general. So like if you if you harvest something, you often plant tobacco as a thank you. So it's a thank you. It's an honor. It's it's one of the most sacred medicines.
0: If you want to get on the good side of a serpent, tobacco. sometimes
1: tobacco. In some stories, he goes after women to lure them from their homes and transform them into serpents, um and in others, only a thunder being named Hino can actually defeat him. And sometimes he can be helpful and like if you're stranded, he'll get you to shore.
0: I like to believe that, that in that chappy. That's, I believe in that champion. That's a chappy I want. Champion yeah. I want. Yeah, I want same. Champion to be like the lovable,
1: the lovable guide who's like, "Don't worry, I got I this." I got you
0: guys. Get on my back. We'll, we'll ride the sea together.
1: Yeah. Oh, can you just imagine? That'd be lovely. Oh boy.
0: Don't tell me anything bad that happens with Champion. This my my vision for him is too glorious.
1: I think you'll. I think you're. I think you're gonna be happy. Okay. The Abenaki speak of Gitaskog or Tatoskog, among other names. Again, meaning big snake. Although one that I like apparently translates more to bigger than big snake. Um. And according to some sources in the early 1700s, the Apenaki told French explorers to be careful not to disturb the waters because of the serpent below. And so we're going to put a pin in this part of the conversation for the moment. Uh, whether you know the serpent of these sacred stories is always one of the same of the later folklore of settlers, I can't speak to. Um, but since we're going to be talking about some of the, the Euro-American settler sightings and research to debunk or or prove some of that. I just want to make a clear separation of that discussion today. So we're going to turn to some of the more famous sightings of Champ. I'll say that since 1609, there have been over 300 such sightings, which is a lot. So we're not going to go through all 300. makes sense. Instead, we're going to hone in on a couple of early ones, and then the most famous modern one. um, And we'll we'll talk about some of the research conducted around that. So like I mentioned, Samuel Champlain is often cited as making the first champ report. though scholars do debate this because of the trickiness of locating exactly where he was. Was he in the lake? Was he in the liver going up to the lake? Not the liver, the river. Definitely wasn't in a liver. Um, And also because some argue that it's very clear he's talking about the types of fish he's seeing. So John Nichol, an English PhD who has spent much of his career investigating the paranormal from a skeptic's point of view, suggests that what he was actually describing in reality was a, a gar, which is a type of fish that includes sturgeons, among other species. Um, but there's this really large gap, right? So we have this theoretically 1609 sighting with, with Samuel uh, Champlain and then there's a gap and then they begin again in the 19th century so the earliest agreed upon sighting is made around 1819 and this is made by a certain captain Crum, which is a great name um, it's reported on july 24th in the plattsburgh republican and the sightings claim that while in bulwaga bay of lake champlain crumb spotted an enormous truly mammoth creature in the water it was black, 187 feet long, with a flat head reminiscent of a seahorse. The serpent was roughly 200 yards away from him at the time, um, which, for con- you know, like a, a better sense, if you're bad at space like I am, that's about two times the length of a football field. So far, um, and was move. It was moving incredibly fast while being chased by a sturgeon and a billfish. But despite this, Captain Crumb says he got a real good look. So, Adam, I would love for you to read into record um, this excerpt from the uh, the the Plattsburgh Republican recounting Captain Crumb's account. Um, But I I would like you to read it in your best old-timey pirate voice.
0: I I always feel that you always make me read things because my voices are very inconsistent. (laughs) Every time you listen, every time, every time I do voices on the show my Partner Sam, she like, always remarks, Your voices are so inconsistent. They start as one thing, then, but we're gonna see what happens. I really
1: love the journey, though. That's what that is. I, I want to know about the destination, it's, it's about, about the, the journey. journey.
0: <clears throat> Captain Crumb, who witnessed the sight, relates that about eight o'clock in the morning when putting out from shore, he discovered from a distance. Is that what I'm reading?
1: Yeah, that's okay. what you're reading. I'm gonna
0: try it again. It sounds like- <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was reading
1: a it's,
0: quote. Yeah, it, it's it, great, it's fine. Yeah. i Captain Crumb, who witnessed the sight, relates about eight o'clock in the morning when putting us from shore. He discovered at a distance of not more than 200 yards an unusual undulation of height surface of water, which was followed by the appearance of a monster rearing its head more than 15 feet and moving with the utmost velocity at the, to the south. At the same time, lashing with its tail two large sturgeons and a billfish which appeared to be engaged in pursuit after the consternation uh, occasioned by a, such a terrific spectacle had subsided. Captain Crumb took a particular survey of the singular material, which he described to be a hundred and eighty seven feet long. It had flat which <laughs> came really Scottish. <laughs> Mm. Its head flat with three teeth, two in the center and one in the upper jaw, its shape similar to a seahorse, color black with star in the forehead and a belt of red around the neck, its body about the size of a hog's head with hunches on the back as large as a common potash barrel, the eyes large and the color peeled onion he continued to move with astonishing rapidity towards the shore for a minute when suddenly he darted underwater and had not been seen since, although many fishing boats have been on the lookout. Thank you, Adam. You're welcome.
1: Um, I'm going to ask you to read every quote from now on (laughs) as an old-time, doesn't matter what the context is, an old-timey pirate.
0: Is the pirate Irish or Scottish or a wee bit of both? Who knows? Maybe
1: Scotch-Irish. Maybe. Um, so this is this is the account of Captain Crumb. And Joe Nichols, I already mentioned him, um, as well as another researcher, Robert E. Bartholomew, who wrote a, a book on Champ entitled um, The Untold Story of Champ, A Social History of America's Loch Ness Monster, published by SUNY, uh, both of them dismissed the story. In the words of Nickel, quote, Hoax or not, that monster has not been seen since, or it has apparently shrunk to a fraction of its former self and lost its distinctive markings, although not without gaining others. And we'll come back to that. So quite a few years after Captain Crumb's account, we start to get a pickup in the number of sightings. In 1870, a steamboat with passengers taking a trip from Essex, New York, saw a head and neck rise from the water. And again, per Bartholomew, it left behind it a 40-foot wake. So you got to imagine that's quite a head coming out of the water. But in 1873, Champ really begins to make a splash. In July of 1873 in the town of Dresden, a work gang reports a large creature in the lake. The Whitehall Times wrote the following. As he rapidly swam away, portions of his body, which seemed to be covered with bright silver-like scales, glistened in the sun like burnished metal. From his nostrils, he would occasionally spurt streams of water above his head to an altitude of about 20 feet. The appearance of his head was round and flat, with a hood spreading out from the lower part of it like a rubber cap worn by mariners, with a cape to keep the rain from running down the neck. His eyes were small and piercing, his mouth broad and provided with two rows of teeth, which he displayed to his beholders. As he moved off at a rate of 10 miles an hour, portions of his body appeared above the surface of the water, while his tail, which resembles that of a fish, was thrown out of the water quite often. All of a sudden after this, we get more and more and more reports of of sightings, and they're always by the quote-unquote right people. So, you know, at the time, if you were a person in the area who was well-known and respected in the community, your word is as good as gold. It is truth itself, right? And honestly, it's also dissimilar from today, right? There are definitely people within society that we were like, oh, well, they said it. That's true. It's got to be true. Um
0: Like on this podcast. people like, like on this podcast. People tune in for us.
1: What we say is gospel truth. Um. <laughs> so around this time... So all of a sudden, nope, I can do this. There is a charm. Around this time, animals begin disappearing in the area. We start to get a real panic going, because this makes the local population freak out, thinking, well, it's got to be the serpent. And General Barrett, who lives around there, noticed that two of his calves were missing. And when he investigated, and here's the damning evidence, guys, he spotted a line of tamped down grass that led from his fields to the lake. So you have to imagine that if you are a sea monster and you've come to get some, some cattle for dinner, you you will leave this this sort of padded down grass as you travel back to your home. Mm. Um, and other farmers start reporting missing sheep missing fowl, that their cattle were extremely disturbed and agitated and anxious at night. And in fact, it gets whipped into such a frenzy in this area that not only does it make, you know front page of, newspapers and, and there are articles written about it. But P T Barnum, yes, that P. T. Barnum of Barnum and Bailey Circus, he hired someone to go spelunking in pursuit of the creature. Oh wow. Because he wanted it for his museum. That checks out. Yeah. And so in, in this this uh there's an article that reports that, you know, he's hired these these people to search for it and that as they're looking about the caves in the area, they you know, other other people hear just the, their screams in the cave. Um, so it's it's very dramatic. It's a, it's a wide search for, for the sea creature at this point. Um, and that's really one of the, the major heydays of Champ. You know, it, it's um, a whole lot of sightings in a relatively short period of time, the 1870s and 80s. Um, and then it goes quiet for a bit. And there's always sort of this, like, this cyclical pattern of like haven't heard from him and then boom he's everywhere Um, with that Adam why don't we take a break before we turn to some of the more recent modern sightings
0: certainly mom will be right back
1: So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries.
0: But how would you like to solve your very own mystery?
1: Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery.
0: Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer.
1: So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMysteryMachine for 20% off the first box.
0: That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMysteryMachine.
1: Sign up now and begin the hunt. have just concluded our story of uh, of Champ in the 1870s. And we're going to we're going to skip ahead quite a bit. We're actually going to skip ahead about 100 years to what is probably the most famous sighting of Champ.
0: And nothing happened in those 100 years. No, there were some some I pop-up know, clearly, ones. Oh, sorry. <laughs> clearly things happened.
1: Things happened. He showed up. You said there was
0: like 300 accounts. Right.
1: So there there were a lot of them. Um but the this one that happens in 1977 is it was the most famous in a lot of ways because it's uh has what is considered the the best evidence of champ love it yes it's the best evidence of champ and it's the best photographic evidence specifically Mm. um and it's been considered important uh in the field of sea monster research uh even after the discoveries of in 1983 that the the nest that famous nessie Photograph was a hoax. Even after that, this photograph still sort of like remaining as well. This, this, something is in this photo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Nickel and Radford, his partner Benjamin Radford, um, re interview the person who took this photo. Uh, her name is Sandra mancy and they re interview her as part of their investigations into Champ in 2002. And so Sandra Mancy says that on Tuesday, July 5th, 1977, she, her fiancé, and her two kids were driving along the lake and decided to stretch their legs. The kids went to the water line, and Sandra's fiancé, Anthony, went back to the car to grab the camera. You know, lovely sunny day, going to get some cute photos. Sandra's keeping an eye on the kids, and that's when she notices something in the water about 150 feet out. She figures it's fish or a diver or something, but then she said, quote, the... The head and neck broke the surface of the water. Then I saw the head come up, then the neck, then the back. And she went on the interview. I wasn't even scared. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm seeing. Then when Tony came over the field, he saw it and started screaming, get the kids out of the water. So they do. They get the kids out of the water. And Anthony hands Sandra the camera. And she kneels down takes just one photo, and then just watches, just sort of appreciates the moment. Um, She said she thinks the neck was about six feet out of the water and that the whole length of the creature was somewhere between 12 and 15 feet. Apparently, and this is also kind of unique in the spotting of Champ and sea monsters generally, they had the opportunity to watch the creature for a full five or seven minutes, Mm. although the creature never turned and faced them on shore. And then after this period of time, the creature went back underwater and never resurfaced. And what's surprising is that a full five to seven minutes is one quite a decent chunk of time. That's a lot of time. And two, you know, all the previous sightings of championship Sea monsters are like, I saw a head and then it was gone in two yeah. seconds. And you know, she only has the one photograph. She took one photo in that span of time.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and in fact, that photo she didn't share with anyone. Um, she, you know, had the film developed, she stuck it in a family album and eventually good for her. Yeah. She was just like, so this, this is mine. This is mine. No one else needs this. And she wasn't even really sure what, what it what was she still. It. She was yeah. still sort of like, well, that was weird. Um, and it's eventually only, you know, somehow she gets put in touch with some cryptozoologists or people who know cryptozoologists and, um, they say, why didn't she send this to so-and-so who's researching Champ? And the cryptozoologists say it must be Champ. This is Champ. And so Mamsie agrees. You know, she had known of Champ, right? She lives in the area and she had considered like, oh, what if it was Champ? But like she was still not really sure until this point. And now she's really taking that idea seriously. So... Like I said, Bradford re-interviewed her as part of his investigation to Champ. And so what he did next is he starts to turn his attention to authenticating that photo. right? So sort of going back to this 1977 photo and, and seeing what we can you know, say about its authenticity. Um, one frustrating issue is that in terms of authenticating it is that everything that you would need to say, yep, this wasn't tampered with, isn't really available. Mm. So for example, the negative is absent. Remember negatives? Oh, Remember when yeah. he had a developed film and he had negatives? Yeah. The negative is absent. Uh, Mancy apparently always threw them out, uh, which is unfortunate because the negative is often where we see signs of tampering, scratch marks, whatever. Uh, there aren't any other photos from the role anymore at all, which would have, provided other clues whether that's you know just different angles or you know different mm-hmm. sizes of things so other, you get photos, other of photos
0: of the place is the same place
1: yeah. right this is the same place this is the angle oh hey what's that weird ripple over there oh this is the size of a human on the shore from where this is yeah. you know like get all of that not available um and in fact mansi doesn't even remember the exact site of the photo after all these years Radford says that the very fact that she waited four years to report the photo to anyone was also kind of suspicious to a lot of skeptics. That said, even Radford, a skeptic, does believe Nancy's story insofar as she is reporting what she saw. Interpretations of a monster aside, she saw something appear in the water. Um, There are no cuts or superimpositions that can be detected on the photo. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a living thing. Let alone a monster, but it does mean that something was present. Mm. Radford's own analysis of the image leads him to believe that it could be a gnarled bit of driftwood. There are some driftwood in the area that, you know, certainly are weird and twisty and look like they have necks. Sure um and he based
0: it's also a sea that is you know it's also a lake that is has so many sources of land yeah that i mean it could be a lot of things
1: yeah it's exactly there is you know there are i believe snakes in the area in general you know it's got lots of wooded things there's um uh, apparently otters in in the past around the world have been mistaken for sea monsters because they hold hands and ride waves and, and play together. Best, and they're I so know. cute. I know. So can you imagine like a line of sea otters like chasing after each other and holding hands and you what you think you see is like the rolling ripples <laughs> of a giant serpent. It's just a bunch of friends.
0: It's just best friends.
1: best uh, friends. <laughs> so he based his idea... That this can't, you know, this is probably something like driftwood or or non living because he thinks that the form of the thing in the photo is too contortionist y to be any creature. Um, Plus, by Mansi's own account, the creature wasn't disturbed by the sounds of the kids or the shouting of her fiance. So you have to imagine that if this creature is coming out of the water and there's all the splashing and shouting on shore as the kids try to get out and as they see it. You would think that it would turn its face a little bit and be like, whoa, what's that? Sure. Um but it did not.
0: That's not how it sounds, by the way. We've established.
1: I'm sorry, would you like to say it as champ for me, please?
0: Whoa, what's that? <laughs> oh no. Who's <laughs> disturbing my slumber? <laughs> I don't know if I said that voice before, but I like this one better. I
1: like this. It's got it's got the, you know, it's about the
0: Heart of the Ocean. The
1: essence of Heart yeah. of the Ocean. So that is the most famous sighting, and actually, let me show you right now, live on air, the image of of that she captured.
0: Oh wow! I mean, we'll certainly post this on yeah. the social. I mean, honestly, I honestly could see the otter theory in this as well. Yeah. Just so people are aware, and you'll see it when. Well, it just it's just super not clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clear that there is something there. Yeah. But if you're not there, it's really hard to get a sense of. And I'm, like, looking at the alternative photos where people, like, kind of brighten things up and, like, crisp blue a little bit. But, yeah. Intriguing. yeah.
1: And, like, I, tot- I totally see, like, monster, neck of monster, that kind of thing. I also could see, like, you're saying, like, it being otters. Yeah. Um, Driftwood seems like an odd choice to me. Like, yeah, that's, there's, there's
0: a lot of shape to that.
1: There's a lot of like curving, yeah. undulating shape that I don't associate. Not
0: rigged, rigid, right. more just curved.
1: Right, which I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. What do I know about Driftwood? But anyway, so that's the most famous. And of course, since then, uh, Lake Champlain gets a lot of tourism based off the idea of, of maybe you'll see Champ. And you know champ is you know the mascot for different sports teams around there he's got statues he's got the whole nine yards so it's it's become a big part of this area the culture exactly um it's a it's a local folkloric hero if you will um and so what i would love to do now is sort of turn to General theories about who or what he might be. General criticisms: Is he an unknown species? Is he a species that we thought was extinct, mm. like a plesiosaur? That's the one that often gets thrown around. Uh, or like, are are they always bits of floating driftwood and oversized fish? What do you think?
0: I I always think that like if if we still have. Ancestors of dinosaurs roaming the that we are, we know like we know a lot of sea creatures are ancestor are um, descendants of the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. We know that birds, birds a lot of birds are descendants of the dinosaurs. I just don't see why it's why are we a weird thing for a large sea creature? We're not calling it a monster. It's a, a creature yeah. that is. I mean, there are big there are big animals in the world. Explain a whale. Explain, um, you know, a elephant. They're big. Are, are they? Wow, what a crazy creature! No, we've just normalized them because there's more of them. Yeah. If anything, they're indeed they're endangered species, and there's only so few of them left.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. Is that you know we have so many descendants of dinosaurs, of these creatures that are not around anymore, and you know why why can't that still exist? We're constantly discovering there's a new species or something. We see right? so, and
0: we see so many weird, like grotesque species of fish, like yeah. every year. I feel like there's a new like quad quadruply thousands of teethed fish i was gonna
1: say fish uh, constantly in my feet fish with human teeth
0: yeah yeah i mean we find so many so i just i i've always been of all of like the creatures of that you know the the cryptist i mean i always rest on like Loch Ness monster and like that kind of like why not why not they're not like They're never described as being so out of the world of Ramaphat. Like, they're not like, they don't have wings. Right. They're they're not dragons. Right. They're just, they look like big water animals. That we would have. So why is it so, I always find it so strange. I think because people, because you don't see them often. Because like, you know, there's no place to go and see them. And what we don't know is foreign to us. And so often we're like, well, that's a monster. That's a creature. But I... I like from the get-go believe that this is real and mm-hmm. believe that there are more of these creatures in the world that they just, and these don't know where they all are because they're endangered species.
1: Right. I, and that's a, that's a really interesting point that we're definitely going to come back to to this idea of, of, um, of endangered species that we just didn't even realize uh, we're still out there. Um, and I think, you know, to that point, I think that's one of the major criticisms of skeptics, right? So that, well, we have so much sonar and so much sonar and like radar and whatever has been done in Lake Champlain looking for Tam. There's been expeditions to go in and out of the caves. I mean, a rebuttal to that might be, well,
0: it swims, you know, it doesn't want to be found. I mean, like- maybe
1: like, you know, creatures have mating habits where like cyclically they travel however long yeah. and then they go back. Right. It doesn't mean that just because you see him here, maybe this is his, you know, his, his layover on the way to another area. Um, but yeah skeptics have a field day with the notion of a giant creature managing to live in the lake for decades centuries millennia what have you and still managing to go unnoticed by science with a capital s um so you may remember the snarky quote from nickel that i read off earlier where he says captain crumb's 1819 description never ends up matching any other sightings of champ and Indeed, Champ's visual signifiers change somewhat wildly, depending on the report. And it ends up sounding a bit like a bad police APB of a suspect, right? Mm. At various times, Champ is said to be between 10 feet and 187 feet long. He has at least one hump, sometimes more than four. He can be black or have a white body, or he can be green, red, bronze. Sometimes he's shiny. Sometimes he's scaly. Other times he's slimy. Sometimes there are fins and horns and antlers, while other times he has elephant ears or jaws like an alligator. Nickel writes... It appears that either Champ is a metamorphosing, contortionistic, chameleon-like creature, completely unknown to the natural world, or else eyewitnesses are viewing and no doubt misperceiving a number of different things. He also says that Champ is always seen at a, at a very far distance, sometimes with the aid of you know binoculars or spy glasses or things like that, sometimes at night. So all of those things sort of cloud the vision, quite literally, of the person. Uh, And, you know, he also says that perhaps the power of suggestion has a part in this, right? Once you have one report of a creature in this lake, everything becomes a creature in this lake, right? Many skeptics suggest that champ sightings are actually sightings of F-O-U-S, that is, fish of unusual size. Mm. Little Princess Bride reference for you all. So, gar have been found that are over six feet long and weigh 50 pounds, and the lake is home to sturgeon, um, who can grow up to 10 or 12 feet. So, and we talked about otter, right? So, um, now one of the common speculations that, you know, Champ is actually, like we were talking about, a dinosaur, a dinosaur descendant, often a plesiosaur is mentioned. Um, plesiosaurs, you know, are pretty darn large, but the idea is that if they end up getting trapped in lakes as the waters recede or whatever, you know, if they survive, I would imagine that they're going to scale themselves down mm. through evolution. Um, Plesiosaurs have been extinct for millions of years—66 million years—and so people go, "Come on, we, we, they, we don't find carcasses, we don't find any of that." But it wouldn't be the first creature to be found alive when previously thought long extinct. So, f- for example, if you're an Animal Crossing fan, you may recognize our friend the coelacanth. A coelacanth, uh is a species that was believed to have gone extinct roughly 65 million years ago. So same time period as those plesiosaurs. Um, And this is also, again, the same extinction when the dinosaurs all go The most recent fossil record of a coelacanth dates to 80 million years ago. The earliest is from 360 million years ago. And at that time, there were like 90 different species of them. But then that's it, right? We don't don't see them. We don't have carcasses. They don't have more fossils more recently than Mm -hmm. that. Nothing. But in 1938, a coelacanth was caught off the coast of South Africa, making the coelacanth a classic example of what is known as a Lazarus taxon, a creature once thought to have disappeared from the fossil record that reappears much later, Mm. inexplicably. And so since 1938, we've established that there are two known extant species of coelacanth, both of which are deeply endangered. Coelacanth apparently... Uh, have tons of different body shapes more than previously thought they can grow up to six feet they can weigh up to 120 pounds and they live 100 years they don't reach maturity to like year 50 or something and this is why they're endangered right um so why couldn't we have a very shy very quiet very endangered and very sneaky lazarus taxon in lake champ
0: and what's like the, the the hypothesis behind it they survived whatever killed the dinosaurs somehow some way somehow
1: some way um, you know I think I, I have to double check I don't actually know that much about Sela camp I sure. think they're a pretty deep I mean they're not so deep sea of fish that fishermen aren't going to get them is a the thing yeah. right so there's just I don't know maybe few enough of them that mm, there. you know Um, I think it's you know in terms of legacy of Champ I think it's worth noting that uh, regardless of his current corporeal existence, Champ is legally protected in New York and Vermont. And while I don't know about Canada, I imagine they're just too darn nice to do anything to Champ. You no know, one's going to
0: go get, gonna not get Champ. champ eh? Not all Champy. Not all champ. Why is that Irish? I don't know where, where, where that went. <laughs> not all Champy. And
1: I thought it would be kind of nice to end on a couple of quotes from some of the writers and witnesses that we've been talking about today that sort of show the range of of where we are in terms of belief and disbelief, the Mulder Scully scale. So Nickel writes, the burden of proof, of course, is on the claimants. Rather than meeting that burden, the champ defenders are promoting a mystery and thereby engaging in a logical fallacy called arguing from ignorance. We don't know what the people saw, therefore it must have been champ. The possibility that any large, unknown animal inhabits Lake Champlain lies somewhere between extraordinarily slim and none. So he's not in sure. Champ's camp. The Wellsville Daily Reporter from Wellsville, New York, in 1970 wrote A lot of Americans will probably dismiss the tales of a homegrown sea monster as tourist bureau balderdash, but count us not among them. We hope there is such a creature in Lake Champlain partly for the romance of the thing and partly because it's nice to know that some kind of life may still be possible in America's emulsified waters.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And then the last thing I'll say is I think it's interesting that, you know, there's something powerful in what we can learn from accepting stories as true, whether or not we believe them to be proven by science as we understand it right um, so I'd, I'd like to come back to where we started with the indigenous peoples of the region and what we might learn from their stories of the serpent and so like I said earlier uh, there are many stories of Champ uh, but there are there's one that I'd like to end on that's told by the Abenaki and the Abenaki Nation has a couple of wonderful videos about um, water in the area and the, its importance to their culture it's made in conjunction with the vermont pbs station and in the story of the origin of lake champlain abenaki chief don stevens says that you know the mountains and lake are created by this wonderful being and he looks around and sees the wondrous beauty of the land and the water and he decides he wants to protect it and its people forever he plans to transform himself into a rock so we can always keep an eye on the place but before he transforms he realizes he needs a guardian who can patrol the area And so he decides to create a being to roam the waters. And he asks all the different animals and fish for help, asks them to become a part of this creature because of their unique features, antlers, teeth, fins, scales, whatever. And he creates from them the being that lives in the lake, Champ. And she, Stevens adds that this is why we might glimpse Champ, but not be able to capture what might be termed evidence. He is real, but he's a spiritual being. And so hand in hand with this, you know, they say that the moral message that comes with the story is that we need to protect the water, right? Water is, is life. Water is necessary for everything. Um, and, you know, Champ, Champ is there to protect it. And we have to as well.
0: well. There you have it. Wow, that was, what a great way to, to end it.
1: You know, it's, I told you, not, not, no, no bad shall come from my discussion of Champ. We love him.
0: We love him. I and, love Champ, and we believe in Champ. I
1: believe in Champ. And if you're some, I'm here for
0: and it. if you're someone who listens to the show and likes draw and stuff like that, mm. fan art of Champ is very mm-hmm. appreciated.
1: I was gonna say I would love to see some Champ fan art. Would love to see like some drawings of of Champ based off the descriptions you heard today. Yeah, so some- I almost had us like draw Captain Crumbs. But then I decided it was more fun to hear you do an accent. That's fair.
0: Um, so if you if you if you are someone who's a little creative, and uh, you want to send some art our way, um, you can do that through our uh, Instagram. Just DM us on the Instagram at NY Mystery Machine, or you can do it on the Twitter at NY Mysteries, or even the Facebook at NY Mystery Machine.
1: And we can we can share your your art with the world. Yeah, if you with, do.
0: with your permission, we'll, we'll share it and. Um, Maybe yeah, that'd be a really cool thing. Love to see some 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 good old champy fan art. Or he if deserves you've seen it.
1: Champ, yeah, he does deserve it. Or she, or she, or she. I, they, know, they, they deserve, they it. deserve it. Pretty as nice. do their brethren, because presumably they have mates, so Absolute. that they can continue being.
0: And uh, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, share, uh, rate, review, rate, review. It's a big um. Do the rate and review thing. You're on. You're already listening to it on Apple Podcasts. Scroll down. Prize. Don't you review. want a prize? And you get a prize, perhaps. When we pick out our, our September prize winners. Right. Um and um, also this is something fun. Uh the New York Mystery Machine now has a Patreon. Ah! That's allowed, allowed. A loud sound I
1: didn't even open my mouth That time Adam You have to let me scream We
0: have some really cool stuff If you're interested in In, in uh, Being a patron On our Patreon page You head on over to Patreon.com Slash NY Mystery Machine And uh, We have some tiers Some levels With some clever names With some clever perks So um, Be sure to Check that out Once again That's Patreon.com Slash NY Mystery Machine um, And you know All the funds From our Patreon Go directly into the show We're looking to get Some new equipment Yeah Um Um, a lot of this is outdated and we want to keep providing you the best equipment to provide weekly shows we want to keep this going every single week so thank you for for all those who perhaps have started donating and who will donate in the future
1: your contributions from listeners like you go to making sure that we can continue having adam ace pirate voices
0: that's what we really want in the world so
1: what everyone needs
0: Well, Christina, thank you for that incredible story. My pleasure. Um, And uh, thanks for, for everyone coming aboard the Mystery Machine this week. I've been Adam Mace. I've been Christina Marinelli. And take care of yourselves. We'll see you next week.